Welcome to It Came From The Deep, a narrative podcast series based on the novel by best-selling author Maria Lewis. Chapter 2. Kai, are you waiting to paint a sunset or are you going to do a warm-up? Huh? Vivi's gruff tone jerked her away from her dread daydream. All oh, right, she mumbled quickly, ducking her head under and pushing off from the wall. Kai let the water rush over her before she popped to the surface and began placing body parts methodically in front of each other. Her hands barely gripped the water as she swam forward. She was off somewhere else completely. Her mind was with the returning South African competitors. Six months earlier, Kaya had killed someone. Unintentionally, of course. But the end result was still the same. It had been at the Australian titles at Surfers Paradise during the Open Iron Woman final. Her recurring nightmare had most of the facts right. It was the last event of the season and she had been looking forward to defending her crown. Reflecting on it now, everyone said the carnival should have been cancelled or at least moved to a calmer location. It had been too rough. The surf was out of control, peaking at the 10-foot mark and sucking up something brutal on the sandbank. But the race had been one of the final of the carnival and officials had been desperate to finish. The ski leg was first and only six competitors made it out around the boys and back to the shore to start the board leg. Kaya was neck and neck with a local girl, Silver Parks, from North Talabudra Surf Club, when they paddled into the break. She got held back after being hit by sidewash, and Kaya saw a gap open up in front of her. Excited, she had powered for it. Her enthusiasm was short-lived, however, as she saw what had been building on the horizon. A bomb the biggest wave of the day so far. It was easily 12 foot, and Kaya had felt a fearful lurch in her stomach as she realised she wasn't going to make it over the crest in time. She would be right in the drop zone. Kaya's entire family had been out on surfboards in bigger waves, and sure, she couldn't duck dive on a paddleboard like she could on a surfboard, but she could still roll. She'd accelerated towards the bottom of the massive wave as it began to collapse on top of her like a small building. At the last minute, she gripped her front handles and rolled off the board, flipping the craft with her. She clenched the front straps as tight as she could and tucked her feet under the handles of the back straps. Squinting her eyes shut, Kaya had waited for the impact. It came with impressive force, dropping down on her with relentless anger, and she'd done her best to keep the board clutched to her body. Kaya would never let go of a board. You couldn't finish a race without your craft, plain and simple. Yet she'd had no choice in the matter. Her feet were sucked out of their position first and she tightened her grip on the front handles. Her eyes burst open under the water in horror as she felt a release of pressure in both hands. The right handle had snapped off and Kaya was left holding a piece of rubber with no board attached to it. The final handle had only come loose at the front, but that was enough for her grip to slip free and the craft to be whisked out of her hands. She fought the churning wash to make it to the surface, hoping against hope that her board might be close enough for her to swim to. It wasn't. All she could see was white froth extending to the shoreline as a wave carved a path of destruction through the rest of the field. Silver had popped up beside her board some ten metres to Kaya's left, looking like she had just survived multiple drownings. Exhausted, 
She'd hauled herself halfway back onto her board before she paused. Kaya, she shouted. Kaya followed her gaze and saw another beast forming behind her, a ten-footer. Silver was already linking her hands through the straps to roll for a second time. Kaya kicked her legs furiously and threw her arms forward as she swam towards the mountain of water. A few seconds before impact, she took a deep breath and dived down as deep as she could go. She heard an awesome thud as the wave exploded above, and she watched the white foam roll over from a safe distance below it. Heading for the surface again, she muttered a breathless thank you to Silver as she swam past her towards the shore. Silver herself was struggling to get back on her board before the next onslaught. Kaya body surfed a broken six-foot wave as far in as she could, trying to milk the maximum amount of distance. Pulling off the wave, she looked around for the familiar lemon colour of her fibreglass board. It was then that she realised something was wrong. Seriously wrong. People were running into the surf and water safety were mounting IRBs, inflatable rescue boats, and pushing off into the waves. She could almost taste the general sense of panic in the air. What had happened plagued Kaya for months, and probably would the rest of her life. Bree Tyler had been the second youngest competitor in the field, a 17-year-old out from South Africa to train for the season. She and four other girls had still been on their surf skis from the first leg when the two waves had hit. Despite knowing they wouldn't make the race time limit, they'd endured in a bid to at least complete some of the course. When Kaya's board had been ripped from her hands, it had been picked up by the wave and propelled to the shore, directly into the path of Bree and the others. In a perfect storm of terrible timing, Bree had been paddling towards the wall of whitewash coming at her when Kaya's board emerged from the foam. It hit her in the head with lethal force, knocking her unconscious and off her ski. The entire beach had seen it happen. When Bree didn't resurface, the thousands of people who had been watching the race, many of them capable lifesavers, had rushed into the water to save her before it was too late. It was. They'd continued to search into the night, but the powerful currents and relentless surf had kept her body hidden from rescuers. It wasn't until the next day that she washed up two kilometres north of the competition arena at the Southport Seaway. As if the horror of the accident wasn't enough, what followed was almost as bad. A circus in every sense of the word. Naturally, there had been a film crew recording the race, and they had captured the exact moment when the board collided with Bree's head. The footage was replayed over and over on every news bulletin for days after the incident, as the media began covering just who was to blame for the unlucky twist of fate. Officials, naturally, for keeping the event running when it should have been cancelled. Maybe even the local council for not stepping in when they should have. The bulk of the blame, however, fell on Kaya. It didn't help that her father was who he was, the KC, famous surfing legend and media personality. It also didn't help that she had been positioned as the golden girl of the sport in the weeks leading up to the event. Having just graduated high school a few months prior, the Australian titles had been intended to mark her first foray into the sport as a full-time professional. Instead, they now had a death toll. Kaya never had much interest in school. Her mind and passion usually focused on the ocean. 
she had done barely enough to graduate. Whereas Brie Tyler, on the other hand, she was less than a year younger, but she'd already had her sights set on a law degree while continuing to chase her dream of becoming an ironwoman. The contrast was stark. Things escalated quickly from the footage of Bree's grief-stricken parents crying into the cameras to Kaya standing before a royal commission as one of the people called to testify about the nature of the accident. Bree's parents and her two older brothers had all been watching the race from the safety of the beach and were naturally devastated. They were desperate for someone to blame and Kaya Craig became that someone. Suddenly she was the irresponsible, reckless someone who had no regard for her fellow competitors. It couldn't have been further from the truth, but the Tyler family was struggling to come to terms. They found comfort in a common goal, and the press found an endlessly sellable story. A light brushing of fingertips on her toes alerted Kaya to the fact that she had let herself get too caught up in her memories. She had slowed down enough that the swimmer behind her was hot on her heels, literally, and she mentally kicked herself into gear, speeding up her kicks so that a flurry of bubbles formed behind her. Kaya had a therapist now. It had been something advised by a lawyer who had represented her at the Royal Commission. But outside of those weekly sessions, she found the pool her own kind of meditation. Sure, getting there was hell, dodging the stares and the whispers and the pointed looks. But once she was in the water, Kai was safe. She was submerged and protected from all the mess that waited for her on land. Her mind was free to wander as she did lap after lap. Swimming training, besides being essential for her chosen profession, was good for her mental health, so long as she kept an eye on the clock and stayed on pace. Kaya had become good at wearing a mask over the past few months. She'd never had reason to before, but now she'd been taught how to keep her face neutral for the cameras as she left the courthouse, bulbs flashing and reporters shouting horrendous questions at her. She had learned how to mask her hurt when someone would utter the word murderer at training, loud enough that they knew she heard them. She had made herself impenetrable when she left board practice one day to find her tyres slashed. She had composed herself enough that every time her dad found another excuse for another trip, anything that would keep him away from home, he had no idea what her real feelings were. She felt as if she had let that mask slip somewhat with Cabby. The news that the South African's arrival was imminent had left her rattled for more than a few reasons. Would Bree's brothers be coming back as well? They were in their early 20s and embroiled in the clubby culture of train hard, party hard, and had made the pilgrimage to race with Aussie surf clubs for the past two seasons. She suspected Bree's parents wouldn't return. After all, the Royal Commission was over. Kaya had been cleared of any responsibility. So too had the race officials and local council. Amendments to the safety regulations in light of extreme weather conditions had been advised and implemented almost immediately. But the general ruling had been that Bree Tyler's death was an accident. An unfortunate, preventable and public accident. The Tylers took to the local papers, vocalising their outrage and their heartbreak. They didn't hesitate in continuing to point the finger squarely at Kaya, something she discovered by accident at home when her brother didn't manage to throw out the day's papers quick enough before she saw the headlines. Her mask had slipped then too, 
On her part, she had stayed silent. Casey and her lawyer had both encouraged her to compose and release a statement. Yet she just simply wanted the whole thing to go away. It hurt her image, the quietness, Storm said. But to Kaya, there was no point. She had done enough. One way or the other, anything she said was going to hurt Bree's family, and she'd already hurt them beyond repair. In the long, silent hours she spent swimming up and down the pool, her chest slowly beginning to burn with exhaustion. These were the ugly thoughts that plagued her. Their session was a long one that day. A full two hours, and BB punished them every minute they were under his control. They had only a half-hour break before hitting the gym for a strength session. Only the hardcore among the squad usually hung around for that, with the numbers thinning from 30 to about 10. Kaya always stayed, and she was grateful to see that Cabby was staying too as the group began pairing off. She had expected to be on her own, with BB as her spotter, which was usually the way she preferred it. BB wasn't much of a talker. But Cabby? Cabby seemed to know everything that was going on. So, she said, through grunts as she twisted from one side to the other and handed Kaya a medicine ball. Do you want the dirt or not? Sweat was forming at Kaya's temple as she gripped the ball's leather, mimicking Cabby's movement before handing it back to her. She hoped her silence answered for her. Oh, come on, Cabby pushed. When was the last time you even saw him? The day it happened? Kaya breathed. What? Her friend had dropped the medicine ball in shock, earning a scolding shout from BB, who was strolling around the group. That's... that's cold. I mean, he jumped ships pretty quickly. I don't think there was a single day he wasn't at court with the Tylers. Chris was friends with her brothers. He was kind of the main person responsible for getting so many South African recruits into Middle Beach. Cabby snorted. That doesn't mean shit and you know it. How long did you two go out for? Two years, Kaya sighed. And three months? Uh-huh. And the last time you saw him was the day it happened. Never trust a man who dates teenage girls. This time it was Kaya who dropped the ball, quickly grabbing it and hiding a giggle before BB noticed. He was a teenager too, Cabby. We went on our first date when he had just turned 18. How old were you? 15. My point stands. I'd say never trust men, period, but I know you don't swing that way, straighty 180. BB called time and the group let out a collective sigh of relief. Taking a moment to towel off and grab a sip of water, the girls moved to their next station at the rowing machines. Cabby waited until the rhythmic whirring sounds of the devices drowned out their voices so that only Kaya and she could hear each other. I'm going to tell you what I know, she started. That way, you can at least have the information, no surprises. All right, Kaya said, cautious. Chris is coming back, obviously, and he's not changing clubs. That surprised Kaya. Cabby registered her look and grinned. Come on, girl, you know better than that. You two as the golden couple might have broken up, but the boy attaches himself to winners. He's not leaving Middle Beach anytime soon. Australian champ six years in a row is a tough record to beat, Kaya murmured, the bitterness clear in her own voice. The Tyler brothers are coming back too, but obviously they got transfer papers already sorted out. No one knows what club they're going to yet, which is weird because the season isn't that far off from starting. But her parents? 
nah, they're staying behind in Cape Town. The boys are, what, like 22 and 24? They don't need their mum and dad, like... Her sentence trailed off. Like Bree did? Kaya finished. Yeah. Cabby looked apologetic as she shrugged, sweat droplets glistening on her dark skin as they continued to row. Kaya fell silent for the rest of the session. The thought of crossing paths with her ex-boyfriend filling her with a whole new kind of anxiety. Thinking back to the last time Chris and she had spoken, the last time they'd touched, she could almost smell the salt that was in the air when he ducked down to give her a good luck kiss under the marshalling tent before the big race. Everything had changed after that. People had picked sides, with her brother and father sticking to hers. Chris's name should have been on that list too, but he'd never spoken to her again after the Australian titles. Not a call, not a text, complete radio silence. Cabby wasn't the only one who had noticed his allegiance with the Tylers. He'd shown up to the courthouse every day in a trim suit, his dark brown hair smoothed back into an orderly ponytail. Kaya had seen him too, but only after Storm had spotted him and let out a string of curse words that caused a clerk to blush. Chris had embedded himself into her life when they first got serious, hanging out with her brother and even surfing with her dad. He was the first proper boyfriend she'd ever had, the first and only person she'd ever slept with, and he'd fitted so seamlessly into her world that she never questioned what it would be like when he wasn't there, until the time came that he wasn't. Time. Sliding off the rowing machine seats, Cabby and Kaya headed for the bench press. As Kaya stretched out her limbs with a deep, satisfied groan, a question that had been playing in her own mind was vocalised by her friend. Do you think you'll see him? I don't think I'll have a choice. Kaya knew that eventually, whether by accident or on purpose, they were going to cross paths at some point, and she was not looking forward to it. She'd spent the past few months trying to rebuild herself, rebuild her life, and a big part of that had been blocking out what had come before. It was one thing to tell herself that she could put Chris out of her mind when he was on a different continent. It was another thing entirely when he was not only back in the same city, but at the same surf club. Kaya tried to let the burn in her muscles distract her as she lifted up the weights balanced on each side of the bar. It was hard to distract herself from the inevitable. Driving down the coast's most expensive street of houses, nicknamed Millionaire's Row, Kaya felt only the slightest pang of relief at returning home. Usually she would try and get in a hearty meal and a nap before her afternoon training began, but it had been a long time since sleep had given her any rest. She lived on Hedges Avenue, a strip of mansions that were positioned on prime beachfront along the coastline. The avenue itself was one-way traffic only, but it was always heavily populated with joggers and walkers making the most of the scenic route. Kaya waited for two cyclists to pass her driveway before she pressed a button on the portable remote that opened the rolling gate to her family home. A thick, concrete fence that was six feet high ran around the front of the property and blocked the most direct view of the front yard. The tops of frangipani trees hung over the fence, adding another dimension of privacy. When in season, flowers bloomed and fell onto the footpath below. The fence was rendered and painted a neutral beige colour that complemented the earthy tone of the paved driveway. Her father had a gardener maintain the lawn once a week so the grass was a vibrant green 
and sprang back up under her feet as she walked over it. Kai's hand was extended towards the long silver handle that ran vertically up the length of the door when it swung back to reveal a dishevelled young woman. Only a few years older than Kaya, she was barefoot and gripping a pair of glittery gold stilettos in one hand. A matching purse was draped over her shoulder and long black hair extensions hung in stringy clumps that fell to her waist. Oh, the girl said, surprised. She quickly licked her finger and wiped it under each eye in a bid to remove the day-old mascara and eyeliner that had caked under her eyes. Dusting her hand off on her dress, she extended it to Kaya with a megawatt smile. Hi there, I'm Ashanti. Kaya let a long pause hang between them before she replied. You a friend of my brother's? Right. You must be Kaya, his little, like, sister. Uh-huh, she replied as she looked down at the woman from her significant height. She didn't feel so little. He in there? Um, yeah, he was still... sleeping. Kaya nodded, slipping past the girl and into the foyer of her house. Dumping her bag in the laundry to wash her gear from the morning session, she heard something that sounded like laders before the front door was gently shut. Kaya internally counted down from ten before she heard a creak from her brother's bedroom, followed by his footsteps padding softly across the tiled floor. His tussled white hair appeared in the doorway with a curious glance. She gone? He whispered. Yes, Dom, Ashanti's gone. Thank you again for fulfilling my morning ritual of returning from training to scare a new woman as she tries to sneak out of our house. Come on, he laughed. Ashanti's not new. She's been here at least twice before. You met her? She had short pink hair then. Spunky. Oh my God, she's a return customer. Storm, you'd better get out now. This is as close to being engaged as you'll ever get. That means I get a stag do, right? Ugh, Kaya gagged, pushing past him. You're the worst, you know that? He beamed, following behind her with glee. You too, Casey Jr. I hate it when you call me that, she muttered her gaze running over the contents of the fridge as she opened it up. Storm pulled his shirtless frame onto a stool at the kitchen bench, then sat patiently as Kaya determined what she was going to cook. Grabbing some eggs, bacon, bread, herbs, butter and a handful of other ingredients, she began working on breakfast as her brother recounted his wild evening. The Craig's house was like all of the others on Hedges Avenue. It cost at least $3 million and was on a plot of land worth five times that. It was two stories. The second floor was populated entirely by Casey, with his bedroom, bathroom, office, and a second kitchen and living area. The bottom floor was where Storm and Kaya resided, each with their own large bedroom and ensuite. Once you got through the front door and past their rooms and the laundry, the house went down a step and opened up into a massive living space. With all the prize money and sponsorship deals and merchandise contracts KC had accumulated over the years, when he had the finances to afford a place, he had wanted it to be his ultimate dream home. Everything was tiled, and come the sweltering Queensland summer, the cooling effect was well appreciated. With a state-of-the-art kitchen, lounge that was frequently rearranged depending on who was over, flat-screen TV and sound system, French doors that gave the house the feeling of the indoors always being outdoors, and a barbecue area where they'd held some amazing parties. 
the only thing someone could say the mansion lacked was a pool. Kai's father hadn't seen the point when they had the ocean literally a few steps out their back gate. It was no secret why Storm still lived at home, despite most guys his age desperate to get out from under their parents' roof. And then, Testy got picked up by the cops for skateboarding home naked. Storm finished. Kaya only having half listened to his account, paused by the frying pan. He got arrested, she asked, spinning around. Now they just held him overnight. He sent me a text this morning saying he was out. Isn't his real name Jeff or something? How did he get the nickname Testy? Well, he has these really huge... Ah, she interrupted, holding up her hand. Actually, I'm good. I don't want to know. He grinned, springing up from his chair. Pulling out a plate for each of them and cutlery, Storm began working on the refreshments. What do you feel like, he asked. The usual? Watermelon, apple, orange, ice and extra ginger. Yeah, yeah. Have you got spinach over there? Uh Uh-huh, she said, chucking it to him. How was training? He called out over the sound of the blender, grinding ingredients to make fresh juice. Fine, it was long distance. BB in one of those moods, I remember. What was the set? Storm nodded along as Kai recited the full two-hour session, even flinching when she mentioned the staggered sprints. He'd trained with BB once, back when he was bouncing between different sports like a bee hunting pollen. He was one of the most naturally talented athletes Kai had ever known. Whether it was surfing or skateboarding, whatever he took up he mastered without shedding a bead of sweat. Maybe that was the problem. Everything had come so easily to him. Storm could have been anything he wanted. A golfer or a tennis player even. He was that gifted as a sportsman. But since his early teens, he'd never been able to stick to the one thing. Her father had been hopeful that he'd take after him and end up on the world tour after Storm started winning comps on the grommet circuit. But her brother was never one for the order or rules of organised competition. What Storm did have, beside his looks, was a charismatic personality that was addictive to all he met. He was the opposite of his name, more a ray of warm sunshine. Brunch is served, said Kaya, sliding two hefty plates of eggs benedict over the bench with a flourish. As is your fresh, cold-pressed juice. Teamwork, she replied, a small smile playing on her lips. This was somewhat of a routine of theirs. A shared breakfast when she returned home from training and when Storm emerged from whatever he got up to the night before. The siblings had always got along well. In fact, since they were old enough to chase after each other, they'd behaved more like best friends than brother and sister. Yet sitting side by side, with their tanned skin, fair hair and long limbs, there was no way they could be mistaken for anything but blood relatives. A content silence hung between them, with the only noise a metallic clink of their knives and forks as they scraped against their plates. Dad's home, Storm said, after several minutes had passed and he'd sated his appetite. What? When? Kai replied, pausing mid-bite. I thought he wasn't due till next week. The low-pressure system they were chasing blew itself out. Where were they trying? Would have had the most impact on Jaws. Sheesh, new mum. I don't think they even made landfall, added Storm. Dad would have had something to do with that. If he was smart, her brother scoffed. Anyway, he crashed upstairs while you were out and is sleeping off the jet lag. Jaws was the name of one of the world's most famous surf breaks off the coast of Maui, Hawaii. 
Maui also happened to be the island where their mother lived with husband number three, or was it four? Kaya could never keep up. After her parents had split, Casey wanted Leah to stay in Australia so she could be close to her children. She hadn't wanted any part of it. Once their marriage was done with, she intended to leave that entire life behind, which included Storm and Kaya. Her increasing lack of involvement was a source of much frustration and pain for her dad, despite the fact he'd done just fine raising both of them on his own. Their childhoods had been spent hanging out in the surf or going on tour with him, if they were lucky. While other kids went to the park, Casey took Storm and Kaya to the waves, where he taught them everything he knew about the Big Blue. His marriage had ended over a decade ago, but he'd never dated again, not even a girlfriend. When Kaya had quizzed him about it, he always replied that Storm and her were the only great loves he needed. You dumb? Storm asked, holding out his hand for Kaya's plate. Yeah, she replied, handing it to him. Sipping the last of her juice, she watched Storm's back as he loaded up the dishwasher. She wondered if she should tell him about Chris and the South Africans coming back this week. She decided against it, thinking back to the time she'd had to physically plant herself between them during the Royal Commission. She'd appreciated Cabby giving her a warning. What was in that? She said, stalling as she looked suspiciously at the green residue left in her brother's glass. The greatest hangover cure in history. Celery, apple, spinach, lime, kale, cucumber, and a pinch of pepper. That sounds like crap. And yet, he mused, I feel so much better already. Plus, I gotta be sharp for tonight. Tonight? The dirty boogs, remember? Kai blinked at him as she waited for her mind to catch up. I'm filling in for their drummer, he elaborated. You said you'd come. Oh, totally, yeah. I just forgot. They're playing in Cooley, right? Yep, he said, eyes narrowing as he watched her. What's up with you, sis? Nothing. I, you're doing that awkward twitch thing you do when you don't want to talk about something. I am not. You are too? Well, this is going to get us nowhere. He sighed, crossing his arms and planting his feet where he stood at the sink. That was Storm's way of telling her that he wasn't going anywhere until she spat out what she needed to say. Kaya felt herself twitch under his gaze and cursed him for knowing her tell. Okay, fine, she breathed. I didn't want to mention it, but in case you run into him... Run into who? Cabby said the South Africans get in on Wednesday. Chris too. She watched as a muscle twitched in his jaw, the only indication of Storm's true feelings simmering under the surface. He was trying to keep himself in check, she realised, for her. How do you feel about that? He said, after several moments had ticked by. I... I don't know, she answered honestly. I won't know till I see him. And there's no point worrying about that, as it mightn't be for ages, if at all. If he tries to talk to you or make you feel uncomfortable, Storm, he hasn't spoken to me in months. That's not going to change now. Okay, but if he does, or anything, just... Give me an excuse to punch him, Kaya, for fuck's sake. You know I'm living for that. I know, she laughed, letting out a burst of nervous energy. And that's sweet, but it would just make everything worse. Things feel like they're finally starting to get back to normal. There was a loaded silence, and Kaya glanced up from where she'd been fidgeting with her fingers. Storm was looking at her intensely. You're a terrible liar, he said. 
She shrugged, laying her hands down on the bench. What do you want me to say? I want you to be mad, Kaya. I want you to be furious about the way people have treated you, even Dad. Just bailing at any opportunity so he doesn't have to be here to deal with what's going on. Instead, you just... What? You just take it. You don't stand up for yourself. You don't fight. You just sit there quietly like you are right now. Because it's exhausting, Storm, Kaya whispered, looking up at the ceiling as tears welled in her eyes. It's exhausting, and I'm so tired, but I feel like I haven't slept in months. I can't fight every bad, horrible, toxic thing people say about me because I don't have the energy, and I can't change their minds. I just... You just have to let it go. You sound like your therapist. You haven't met her, so you wouldn't have the slightest idea what she sounds like. <laughs> Storm snickered, looking more annoyed than amused. Look, I gotta go, but I'm gonna speak to Cabby, find out what else she knows. The gig isn't till tonight, Kaya protested, following her brother towards his room. You're gonna head in this early? Yeah, he said non-committal. The guys have been on tour for months and this is my first chance to hang out with them properly. Okay, Kai murmured, feeling worried that Storm was up to something. As if sensing her concern, he spun to face her. I'll see you tonight, right? You come and have a good time and take your mind off all this bullshit. Sure, she nodded. Let your hair down for once. She gave him a smile she hoped looked braver than she felt on the inside. He might have thought she was a bad liar, but he seemed convinced enough by the gesture. See that? He grinned, pointing at her. That almost looks like the little sister I used to know. This chapter of It Came From The Deep was read by Sophie Parr and produced by Adam Boys at Thaumaturgy Post-Production Services. It Came From The Deep is the third novel from Maria Lewis and available physically from all good bookstores and library as well as online. It's also part of her Aurealis award-winning Supernatural Sister series, which includes Who's Afraid, Who's Afraid 2, Who's Still Afraid, The Witch Who Caught a Death, The Wailing Woman, The Rose Daughter, and more. This is the narrative podcast series with new chapters releasing every week and bonus episodes dropping in between with author Maria Lewis and myself, Blake Howard, breaking down the plot, inspirations, and writing process. It Came From the Deep is part of One Heat Minute Productions. <laughs>